0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's been another tumultuous week out there in the big bad world with chaos enveloping our once civilised isle and with further resignations expected before the week is out and more than a whiff of mutiny in the air. I can only welcome to the floor Mr Edward Kemp, Wisdom.com's outgoing digital editor for the first and it pains me to say last time on this, the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Joining us also, myself and Ed... Uh, to discuss the state we're in is Joe Harman, magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly. And since we're recording this in the midst of the second test from Pala Kelly after two days of, of nip and tuck and Sri Lanka inches ahead, we'll have to tread a little bit carefully knowing that events in that one uh, could well shift again by the time you hear this. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Ed Kemp. Um, we have you for another couple of weeks before you're moving on to shiny new uplands elsewhere. Um,
2: Uh, What has your moment been of the week so far? Well, I'm not looking too far back, but um, just uh, on day two, Sri Lanka's kind of come back uh, into that second test, led by Roshan Silva. Um, Just kind of showing the kind of batsmanship that over a couple of generations now, you know, we've become used to from Sri Lankan players. uh, And the test series really needed Sri Lanka to... uh, put up a good fight, and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, just to explain, so
0: we're recording this a couple of days into that second Test match. Obviously, England won the first convincingly. Uh, first, first win in 750-odd days away from home. Uh, Sri Lanka have bounced back really well in this game. Uh, it remains to be seen whether England can uh, arrest the initiative back in that third innings. But as you say, Sri Lanka 40-odd ahead at the end of day two when we're recording this podcast. And Roshan Silva, who's kind of been in and out the side, he batted beautifully today, um, as you say uh Joe Harman also with us what's been your moment of the week
1: um so mine was uh, an amazing innings to kick off the women's world t20 um Pre Corps, who has a habit of playing these obviously we remember the one from the women's world cup where she uh, slaughtered australia um and starting the women's world t20 against new zealand Had a big match to start that game almost to kind of play off for the for the semi-finals um she absolutely blitzed it i think she was 50 took her 33 balls to get to 50 just another 16 after that to bring up her first T200. Eight sixes. Um, there's talk in this tournament that the, the boundaries haven't been brought in. The ground's um, are not big enough. Yeah, the ground, ground's not big. It doesn't really matter where the boundaries are. She yeah. was absolutely hammering out over the ropes, um, and she's just incredible to watch. She's obviously got such kind of fire in her as well. We saw that when she uh, got her 100 against Australia in the World Cup, and then promptly lambasted her teammate for not running hard enough between the wickets. Um, we we were talking about this yesterday. Uh, just folks, just to mention that we went to print on the
0: magazine yesterday. So Joe and I are slightly slightly ragged coming out the other side of that. And we were uh, tying tying the, the magazine together yesterday and talking about Harmon Preet. And I said she's the, the the superstar that women's cricket's been looking out for. And you mm. said, well, you know, is Meg Lanning is Lisa Perry coming into that category? And I, for my money, I think. A, an indian in this position just elevates the game um, to to a different kind of plane uh, and she is she is extraordinary to watch as you say she's got a kind of a unique kind of charisma which i haven't personally seen in women's cricket and before. that's i
1: mean you could also throw mitali raj in there as well because she is the figurehead of indian cricket and has taken that team onto to things that didn't look possible a few years ago but i can see where you're coming from she's not She's not got kind of the glitz of a star in yeah. the way that Harman Preet just dominates a game, takes over a game. Matali kind of does it almost quietly in the background. Uh, and now Harman the captain of that side, taking over from Matali for the 20-over stuff and uh, really runs the show. And I, I said in the podcast last week, I think this Indian side are dark horses. I mean, perhaps they're not even dark horses. They got to a World Cup final not so long ago, but I think they're they've got a good uh, got explosive batting mm. smriti Mandana as well yep. um, unbelievable talent um, got good spin bowlers to see the conditions out there i think they might push australia and england um, really hard actually
0: yeah i think it's a good shout uh, we'll come to england's uh, campaign so far a little bit later uh, in the show for, for my money my moment of the week uh, i was i was sitting uh, watching the tv yesterday morning just finishing off the uh, the, the last few few lines for the magazine, and watching out the corner of my eye, um, what looked like a nip and tuck kind of Test match until Sam Curran came out to bat. Uh, this is his seventh game, and I, for my money, this is his fourth significant intervention so far. Uh, and yesterday's was was peak Sam Curran. Six six is one four, I think. Uh, brought up his his third fifty in Test cricket with a six. Uh, as he's repeated in the previous 250s, first time in history. Mm, First First time time anyone's done that, yeah. Uh, And for a a kid that's not especially well, you know, stripped and and built and hench and all that stuff, he's not a kind of modern Jim Bunny kind of cricketer. He hits a, a ball as cleanly as anyone I've seen, and it goes a long, long way. He's hit 14 sixes in his seven test matches so far. We've watched him... Uh, at the Oval for the last two or three years, and we've heard what people have been saying, that he's a batsman who will bowl in the fullness of time. We didn't, in our wildest dreams, imagine he was some kind of proto-Stokes with the bat. We thought that he would be a technician in, in there at number five or six, potentially, mm-hmm. from what we've seen. It's revelatory to see this kid go out and play. Um, and there's a purity to to his game as well that, that is irresistible, Uh and there's a there's also a kind of audacity to it all as
1: well. But that not particularly as well. It's almost come too easy to, for current so far in Test cricket. Everything's looked so easy, but that innings did not look easy at the start. He really, well, yeah, he was he five str- from forty odd balls. Yeah, so I don't know if he was even necessarily struggling, but he was playing the situation. Yeah. Knew that England couldn't afford to lose another wicket at that point, and was prepared to block. So he's not playing impulsively. He hasn't got only one way to play. He doesn't have to play the shots because that's his method. He showed that he can tough it out when he needs to, and then open his shoulders when he was running out of partners. Uh, and it was, yeah, hugely impressive. I think you're right,
2: Phil. We've Cheers. heard, we've heard uh, from Surrey coaches and what have you, just the level of talent. That's what they say about Sam Curran. He's just super, super talented. And yeah, clearly, he's a young guy. who's done incredibly well. But on one side, you could say, well, actually, he's a guy who bowls mid-70s, you know, picks it up and swings it. And as you say, formally, you're saying, yeah, he's got a good technique. But, uh, but actually, what we're seeing now is, it is probably the most natural and easy-looking bat to hit massive sixes um, that, of anyone that you've seen for a while. I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. He makes it look unbelievably easy. Yeah, and th- there's also
0: if you watch the first bit of his innings at Edgbaston, where that match turning and probably series turning, although it was the first test, it was such a critical game. The first thirty odd, forty odd deliveries, he was technically secure in under leaden skies. Uh, when the when the ball was doing all sorts and he stays side onto the ball, he hits through the V. When he's playing within himself, when he's playing defensively, he looks like a top five batsman to me. And then when the game change, changes and the circumstances change, then he, he lets go. Uh, and there's a real purity to the way that he plays. Um, I, I, I fear that as we go down the line, the bowling becomes slightly more exposed at test level. And then... As you've seen, say, with Bairstow, and and if you remove the gloves from Bairstow, then the pressure suddenly gets lumped on his shoulders as a batsman. I I can just envisage down the line with Curran that we can get to that point. Uh, The thing is, though, from what we've seen, he looks like a player who just will bat in the top five in Test cricket for many, many years. He
1: also couldn't have arrived at a better time because the way England's side is set up at the moment, if the bowling isn't working out for him on a certain day or session, he doesn't have to bowl that many overs. Uh, and actually, there also aren't that many top-order batsmen demanding places outside of the current group. So you can almost, as they have done out, out in Sri Lanka, pack the side full of all-rounders. And Curran can be what you need him to be on the day. And I can't remember one of the Surrey players was saying to, saying to you, might have been, was it Rory Burns? Saying the impressive thing about Curran uh, is that every single... He always single, has an effect. He always does something. It's Gareth Batty. Gareth he always, Batty. always has an effect. Whatever it, whether it's in the field or whether it's ball yeah. bat, he always does something in a day. Yeah. Uh, and that when you've got a player like that, you can't you get to a point where you can't really leave them out.
0: Yeah. Should we plug the magazine, Joe? Why not, right? So, sure. uh, four people on the on the upcoming issue of, of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Uh, Rory Burns, Ben Folkes, brilliant debut 100, of course, last week in the first test. Uh, Sam Curran and Ollie Pope. Um, there's a connection there. Uh, they all play for Surrey. Surrey are bouncing, bouncing along, as we know, in county cricket. Now, we spoke to two of those. We spoke to Burns and we spoke to Pope. Um, and we also spoke to a couple of people who know the other two, and one of the, one of which was Neil Stewart. Neil Stewart being the the older uh, brother and cheekier brother of Alex Stewart. Now, Neil Stewart's worked at the Oval for 20, 30 years, bringing young cricketers through. Rory Burns credits him for being the most important batting coach he's ever had. Uh, he saw Sam Curran as a 14, 15-year-old, and we interviewed Neil, Neil Stewart about this. And when Curran turned up with a big reputation, in part because of his older brother, Tom, Having said, my little brother's better than me. You wait till you see him. And Sam came over from Zimbabwe on a scholarship to Wellington College. And Neil Stewart in the indoor net saw Sam Curran. And he said, after three or four weeks, I thought, what's all the fuss about? And then they had an organized competitive game. So they had some standard nets. And he said, I just a, a young kid, technically all right, bowls a bit of medium pace. And then they had a competitive game. And then he saw what all the fuss was about. There was a there was a spring, there was a kind of vigour and vim in the way that he went about his game. Uh, and suddenly he could see the emergence of this this absurdly brilliant young talent. Um, and, and and this is kind of a story of Sam Curry. He creeps up on you. We we watched it, we watched his debut here and we thought, oh, who's that little kid at mid on? Yeah. You know, it's like a, a YTS game thing. And then he comes into bowl, took eight wickets on debut in twenty fifteen, then went back to school. Went back to school literally two days later.
1: We've had, we've really had a, a nation of cricket supporters who have had the same process as Neil Stewart describes there. Really, yeah, uh, there was yeah. quite a lot of people on Twitter ready for him not to be able to take any wickets. The, the, the great
0: you, yeah. Tim, Tim Wigmore, of course, you know, <laughs> who, who, no doubt we listen, listening. Uh, legend of our game, uh, he, he was out there and he was saying, "Oh, and Sam Curran's coming on first first change." You know, and Australia got Pat Cummins bowling first change. Uh, Twenty minutes later, we would taken three Indian wickets and swung the game towards England. Yeah. You know, edge but he
1: was—we should say—Tim was not the only one. A no, lot of sure. People
0: were thinking that way because sure, you, you never miss he a chance to to <laughs> nail him. <no>? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Ed Kemp, uh, Ben Stokes at three, uh, talking of England's flexibility. Um, obviously, he was promoted after the first test, having bad bad at five. Mo and him have swapped places. Uh, what do you think about Ben Stokes at three? Not just for the next couple of test matches, uh, in similar conditions, of course, in the West Indies, but down the line, down the line next summer, Australia are here, so on and so on. What do you think?
2: So, well, I suppose the, the underlying point to make, obviously, is that England do not have a nailed-on choice for number three. Well, so they do, well, he just won't do it. Well, yeah, exactly. They have the captain, but, <laughs> as you say. And, it, funnily enough, this is one place where, arguably, he could have said, oh, actually, I'll back three, but there we are. Um, I think, so I wouldn't have put Moe in at number three anyway myself. Um, Although if it's purely a case of, yeah, we don't think you're good enough to bat number three. It seems harsh to do that after one test of the series. Hopefully it was spun more as, you know, you're getting through a lot of overs and you took eight wickets kind of thing. Um, So I think of the options available, obviously in this series they were never going to pick. And you know, a specialist batsman, you know, and affect the balance of the side in this second test, really. So it had to be one of those kind of all-rounders, all-wicket keepers. And I think Stokes, probably of those ones, is a he's not had a go yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and B he he is technically very sound, and obviously what he did last uh, summer uh, against the uh, the moving ball was very impressive. So I think he has a shot at being the long term number three, and I, th- I like the fact that they've picked someone who uh, there who put someone there who actually he might be able to do it next um, yep. summer, which the best one in the world, Mowing against the Aussies, is not no. going to happen. Joe,
1: I said, well, yeah, I mean he plays fast bowling as as, any, as well as anyone in the England side now, so. Um, I think it's a good pick for now, and I think it's potentially a good pick for next summer. Whereas Butler, I think, could have done just as good a job at three in Sri Lanka, but wouldn't have wanted him at three in the Ashes. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's some, there's some kind of future planning, whilst also making sure you've got your best side do, do, the do we, in
0: do we run the risk of losing the thing that makes Ben Stokes so special as a, as a cricketer? That freedom, that, that liberated approach. Personally, that I think... the otherness that in, he brings. In
2: the England team that he's been playing in recently, batting, batting at five, He's often in early against a swinging ball anyway, and playing these knocks. So I don't actually think if he's going to bat at five in this team that it makes that much difference.
1: Yeah. Okay. And also, yeah, and at three he can dictate the position of the team rather than having to rescue. It's different
2: from Curran at eight, you know, Mm -hmm. Stokes when he was started out batting six or seven. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing batting with freedom. But if you're going to bat in the top five, I think you have to be an all-round player regardless.
1: Yeah, and we have we have seen a slightly more inhibited Stokes since he's come back from his from his troubles. Do you think that was linked? It's hard to say, isn't it? I don't know whether there's a, even sub, subconsciously, a, de- a determination to show responsibility. And penance. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's how I it's felt it's when an I was. It's impossible the... things, you, you can only guess, can't you? But there has been a. a He'd
0: probably tell us we're speaking bollocks, of course. No doubt. No
2: doubt. <laughs> we probably are, not for the first time. But... I think there is at least something in the fact of how, regardless of the public or anything, he feels that guilty for, to his teammates that he wasn't there on that Ashes tour. So he is, and he, you know, he's obviously a very team centric sort of guy. So I think there's something in the idea that he wants to make every additional effort now to uh, not be letting the team down and do whatever he sees is right for the team in that moment and therefore, you know, showing a greater responsibility. I think that's
0: God, that's I'm going to miss you, Ken. That was beautifully <laughs> done. All right. Um, the women's T20, uh, it's been a, a slow burner of a start. Is that fair?
1: Well, we had the explosive start of Harman Precourt, cool, and yeah. then, since then, um, through. Bit of bad weather, some slow pitches, uh, some slow outfields, and some mismatches as well. That's, that's the other thing with, with women's cricket at this stage. There are some mismatches even amongst the top nations. And is um, that a
0: consequence of the professionalism at the top end of the game versus the inevitable kind of amateur structures that exist, say, around India, uh, around Ireland? I and think it so is. I think if you think it.
1: that just even looking at the England and Australia sides over the last few years, how much they've progressed, having the big bash, having the KSL there is that danger that you that you leave the rest behind. And we have we have seen that in a few matches so far. Um, it's, there's been low-scoring games, which have been quite intriguing as well. West Indies um, fighting back to beat South Africa, yeah. which is the key game in England's group. England, having had their game against Sri Lanka washed out, which was potentially very damaging for their hopes of qualification, managed to beat Bangladesh in a uh, rain-affected game. Because
0: if they'd had two rain outs, they'd be in trouble, right? They would have had
1: to win their last two games and even that might not have necessarily guaranteed their progression, I think, depending on other results.
0: So just to clarify, in England's, England's situation, they play uh, the West Indies on Sunday night and they play South Africa
1: on Friday night. Yeah. Obviously two wins and they're fine. Yeah. Do they need two wins to be fine? Not necessarily. I think it, it will depend on other results, um, but if they lose to South Africa, then they they'll face they a must-win game against West Indies, the home side, the mm. reigning champions who've beaten South Africa a few days previously. So that's a situation they really don't want to find themselves in. I'm doing um, that game as well, and it and is gonna... it is an ex- inexperienced team they've got. I mean, we were talking earlier three three debutants um, in the opening game of a World Tournament. Yeah, Kirsty
0: so Gordon, like, Lindsay Smith, and Sophia Dunkley, two left-arm spinners uh, and a middle-order bat. Yeah. Um, Quite a brave call right, Ed, to go in with three three debuts.
2: It is brave, but it does speak of where England women 's crickets at in terms of its increasing professionalism uh, the you know the pathway structures that ECB would talk about, and therefore how many uh, alternative players they 've got to choose from it's, I suppose the argument is you know they 've performed well consistently in the KSL, and therefore though they haven 't got international experience they 've got big game experience in front of let 's face it bigger crowds and some international games. Um, you know, in the past, so uh, I guess from Mark Robinson's point of view, it wouldn't feel like a risk, really. He's just said, "Look, we've got all these good cricketers. Let's pick the ones who are in form and have got experience of winning games in T20 cricket."
0: Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, um, we'll all get to know uh, these the individual qualities of these of these new uh, new players, and hopefully, Darren Ganga as well. The, uh, the the commentator can pick pick up a few tips as well because he interviewed who he thought was Kirsty. No, no, who we thought was Sophia Dunkley after the game. Um, It was, in fact, Kirsty Gordon, and she'd got player of the match.
1: Which was bizarre, because Sophia Dunkley hadn't batted or bowled in the game, and he knew he was doing a player of the match interview. So I can only assume he hadn't actually watched the match. Yeah,
0: tricky. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) Gordon's reputation as a deadly finisher, uh, honed playing for Surrey Stars, was a bit of a shock to her, considering she's never played for Surrey Stars and she bats number 11. But but hey-ho, I'm sure they'll figure it out in the end. Um, Australia have been... Predictably solid and dominant, um, uh, they saw off New Zealand a couple of days
1: ago. Uh, is is there any way that they won't be making the final? Um, I think they'll be. I'd be very surprised if they're not in that final. Particularly as they're due to play. I mean, if we assume England win the group, which is very much an assumption at this point, then they'd play South Africa or West New, which in theory is the weaker of the four teams left in there. Whereas England then could be up against a more challenging game of. of India. Australia have been very dominant so far. Uh, thrash New Zealand in a T20 series prior to the mm-hmm. tournament as well. Looking very strong. And I think they were favourites before the tournament and I think they've only kind of enhanced that. Their performances so far. When you
2: watch them, particularly in the field, they do just—I know it's a bit of a cliche—but they do just look like a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Um, They do, you know, they've uh, got—they know exactly which bowlers they want to use when. They're they're good uh, in the field throughout. Well, they did make a few errors in their first game, but you know they've got—you know—athletic fielders all over the ground. And then you know Alyssa Healy at the top of the order with the bat is absolutely smashing it. Mm. Uh, So you know they just—they've got such depth.
0: They also—they value pace more than. The other teams that I've seen, Australia, they they back pace, you know, Perry and Shutt and and other characters like that in a way that you don't get that impression with other teams necessarily. And it seems okay. England's hands was hand was forced because Catherine Brunt, uh, unfortunately and personally, you know, I really do wish her well because she's one of my all-time favourite cricketers. She she was out the picture on the eve of the tournament, so England lost that kind of scene bowling presence, but. They bring in two left-arm spinners. Now I know you're playing in the West Indies, and the conditions work better with taking pace off the ball. But I, I like a team that goes in there with a bit of pace, goes in there and dares to to wang it down there, you know. And, and there's a kind of refined nature of women's cricket that that I respect. But I also like it when, uh, when they, when they throw it out, throw and, it out. There. And
2: actually, although all the attacks are spin-dominated, it's been interesting. Um, actually, a lot of the seamers have had uh, a great deal of success. Uh, the left arm opener for Sri Lanka took a couple in the first over yesterday and a few days ago. Uh, actually, Pakistan's best bowler was Ali Riaz, who bowled with quite a good pace. And that's the uh, as, uh, the only seamer in the attack. Mm-hmm. So these pitches don't preclude uh, quick bowlers from being successful in the women's T20. Mm-hmm.
0: Just as an aside, um, obviously England go out to the West Indies uh, in the new year to play three more test matches. Um, do you think it's going to be similar kind of conditions to what they've encountered now? Do you think that it's going to be slow, low... Difficult to score, sticking in the pitch, and therefore we're playing three spinners at the minute. Uh, Do you think, can we see the same playing out across the whole of the winter?
2: Yeah, I think so, potentially.
1: I think, particularly if, if they get a series win in Sri Lanka, they won't be particularly inclined, they won't want to change it, and if there's good reason not to. In terms of conditions, they'll stick with what they've got. Root said how much he liked the option of having six bowlers and, and it, it does free up, particularly if Stokes is going to bat in that number three position. Yeah. He can just give you some fiery overs when you need them and, and not really be
2: a front line front line bowler. I suppose the sense. obvious change potentially wouldn't it would be the leach position for one of the other seamers broad or works out a bit. Except Leech
0: appears to have overtaken Rashid, I think. But from would. the
2: batting line of point of view, perhaps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. we shall see. Yeah. Um Elsewhere around on Planet Cricket, well, Zimbabwe, uh, that we touched on last week in the pod, on the podcast, um, they won that, their first Test match against Bangladesh, their first game that they'd won of Test cricket in five years, and I think their first overseas win since 2001, an incredible result, really. Uh, the series was recalibrated, Bangladesh came back to to take to draw the series 1-1, um, but the result for Zimbabwe equals England's last effort out in Bangladesh and Australia's as well. Um, I know, though, that Zimbabwe have this is their first Test series in a year, um, but, and there's few and far between Test cricket coming up in the next few years for Zimbabwe. We also have, of course, the World Test Championship that begins next year. The Zimbabwe is not part of that top nineteen, so they won't be a part of it. But they they are still involved in the ICC's uh, future tours program. India are offering them a test match next year, which will be an enormous cash cow for a cash-strapped cricket in organisation. Should more be being done, or pragmatically do they even want to be playing that much test cricket?
1: Well, certainly Tristan Homer, our Zimbabwe correspondent for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, has, has said test match cricket is not their priority. They want to be playing white ball cricket. And Ireland, Whisper It, are in a similar boat financially. Yeah. And that's it. It's just too expensive to host these, host these games. That said, like Australia are doing, Jonathan Liu um, wrote, uh, another columnist of ours for w- WCM, uh, wrote that he thinks it's overdue that England go over there with a the changing political situation with Mugabe gone. This is the time that England can go back out there because they've had some fantastic games over there in, in, yeah. in many years ago now. Um, no
0: sign of it up to 2023, incidentally. Right. Neither Australia nor England will be going out there. Right. So,
1: And we don't know, I mean, if Zimbabwe aren't really... Uh, inviting teams to go out there then maybe that's not the that's the call but they could still i think england could go out there for a for a one day series just the always the question how do you how do you fit it all in and that's that's always going to be the problem and zimbabwe really are probably going to spend a lot of time playing ireland afghanistan well yeah and looking at the future uh, tours there's a lot of that kind of cricket yeah not in test cricket obviously but in the one day stuff a uh, stunning result though, uh, uh,
0: rousing to see, I would say, considering that Zimbabwean cricket has been written off more times than we can care to So
1: you've got enough loyalty to the cause to go back to it, um, and to leave the, the cash of county cricket behind suggests that there is there's at least some optimism to build on there in Zimbabwe. Uh,
0: elsewhere, uh, Australia won a game, but then they <laughs> lost another one uh, quite comfortably, so South Africa took that ODI series. Um, do you want to put the boot in, Ed Kemp?
2: Well, (laughs) it's not really your style. It's obviously privately, you know, you have have your own thoughts about seeing Australia. Oh, go on, make them publicly. Go on. You're out out the doors soon enough, anyway. Come on. You have to try and control yourself as an England fan and not not gloat too much, I think. We know it's never too far around the corner that uh, it's coming back at you. But obviously, (laughs) it's, um, you know, Aaron Finch has been pretty honest. He's been pretty clear that, you know, he would actually quite like the makeup of the team uh, to change, perhaps significantly. I mean, let's face it. The, the, the issues in white ball cricket have been going on for a long time. You know, this is not a new thing, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not just a post uh, Smith and Warner thing. Um, this is. This look, it looks like
1: quite uh, the bowling aside. When they've got their quicks available, that's a strong bowling attack. But the batting lineup doesn't actually look like a very strong. It's not like they're underperforming massively. I don't think that just doesn't look like a very good fifty yeah. over batting side now. Yeah. To me, they don't bat particularly deep.
0: I think they've won three in twenty. By my maths, I think it would have been two in, two in 18, 19. Somewhere. I think three in 20 they've, they've, they've won in the last, the last year or so. So it really is crisis time for that, 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 that white ball side. The question for me, going into a huge uh, winter series for them against India. India have never won a test series out there. Uh, but Australia have got half a team out, of course,
2: infamously. Um, do you see Cody finally turning them over? I think it's really exciting because almost whatever happens is an interesting uh, yeah. result. I think yeah. it'd be fantastic, I have to say, to see uh, India go there and win. And I don't just say that as a bitter England fan. Uh, India to go and win because you kind of have the sense that actually the squad sort of deserve a bigger way series yeah. uh, win. You know they do have players they were a bit. Well, cricket could
1: do with it as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think so. But you know, actually almost regardless of who they've got in the team, Australia are difficult to beat when they're at home. And, you know, we, we thought that last winter's Asher series would be, or a lot of people did at least, being fairly close. And the bowling touch absolutely hammered them. Now, obviously, they won't have Smith in there, but there's every chance that they'll be in a, in a lot of these games Australia. So I still think... They will still be, have the quicks. Exactly. they still have Pattinson the quicks. And they've bat- got a couple of batters who you think... You know, obviously they've got the them to collapse, but they do have a couple of batters as well. So I think it would still be a great achievement for India to go there and win.
1: I think India go to Australia with a stronger pace attack than, than England offered. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think Umraa will be a real weapon there. I think Yadav as well um, has been bowling really well recently. Uh, they've got real variety there, and I think I mean I'd be surprised if Australia win that series. Um, I think this is the time that India. We'll do them over. Mel Jones, another columnist of ours in the magazine, said Australia have never faced such a difficult test series uh, at home. And I think, that's, I think that's right when you look at the quality of the opposition and the off-field mess that they find themselves in.
0: Mm. All right, folks. Um, looking forward then to the next week, um, ignoring what's happening up the road in at Westminster, if we possibly can. Uh, what are we looking forward to, first of all, uh, Edward Kemp?
2: Well, I'm just going to say I'm really looking forward to seeing um, the beginning of that tour next week. So, India start playing their T20s uh, next week. Obviously, um, we've talked about Australia's uh, white ball struggles, but just the fact that that cricket's kicking off, and we have a, a winter of, well, for us in the UK, a winter of, of cricket in Australia with a really exciting India team to look forward to, I'm uh, I'm excited about.
1: Mm-hmm. Joe Harman. Joe Harmon? Uh, well, we've touched on it already, but um, I'm looking forward to the new issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly mm, coming out. It's really good, isn't it? It is a good one. It's packed full of stuff. At one point, I did wonder if we'd done more pages than we were meant to, because <laughs> I how we'd fit it all into 100. What's your favourite bit? Um, so, I would say the uh, another big feature in association with Crick Biz, um on the golden age of pace, or the new golden age of pace that we find ourselves in. Uh, Not talking about rapid pace, but we're talking about seamen such as Mohamed Abbas cleaning up um, with historically good stats. Um, Averaging 15
0: per wicket at the minute.
1: Averaging 15 per wicket. Um, Extraordinary stats. So what we've done, um, without going into too much detail, we've analysed the skills of the best 25 pace bowlers over the last two years, um, ranked them for you. Uh, and given some kind of in-depth analysis of how they take their wickets and why they're so difficult to face.
0: And by this measurement, we've got uh, an interesting number one, haven't we? We're not going to give it away. No, we
1: won't. We won't. But I think.
0: But it's not Rabada, That's what shocked me. It's
1: not Rabada, and I think the the list is kind of pretty much as you would expect it. Apart from you've got a surprise at number one, which I think gives it um, a bit, bit more sufficient credibility. credibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That
0: said, we'll be putting our tin hats on when the
1: magazine does come out next
0: <laughs> Wednesday. Stroke Thursday. Um, what are okay. you looking forward to, Phil? What am I looking forward to? Well, it's going to be Friday night upcoming and uh, Ed Kemp's Leaving Drinks. Song. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what more can be said? Truly, Ed Kemp, it's been a pleasure. Um, best of luck wherever you're going. I only mean that slightly. Um, and whatever you do, don't stop writing. I've been Phil Walker. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe and tell your mates. Uh, we'll be back next week.